0: To to Drumversations, the podcast. This is Ruth Lomax.
1: And this is Mark Lomax. We've been on a bit of a break.
0: We have been on a break for real. So much has happened. Um, Tons. So let's see. Our quartet's
1: see. now a trio.
0: Yeah, so our daughter um, finally graduated high school. Finally. And is now off doing her thing at Penn State. We're We're ridiculously proud of her. Shout out to Amira, who is just about to take the world by storm.
1: We are. (laughs) We are.
0: (laughs) That is the famous Penn State slogan in case... You are not hip to it. But, yeah, um, so we took a bit of a break just so we could kind of get our life in order in terms of, you know, graduation and then moving. And we also have a middle schooler. So we just needed to really spend some time just um, on family and and getting some rest. Hopefully we got some. Yeah, there's been a lot life, going on. A lot
1: of life happening.
0: <laughs> a lot of life we have unfortunately lost a lot of folks in 2020
1: just in the last month.
0: Yeah, and and that's that's kind of been taking its toll. We've just had a lot a lot of um me personally I can speak to some of um anxiety, mental health and things like that that have been going on and I feel I feel really comfortable with you all so I feel like I can share that with this, with this group, but lot- the
1: podcast family,
0: the podcast family. Yes. I'm, I'm reaching out and giving you all virtual hugs. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, a lot has been going on artistically with Mark. So, um, I think for this session or this episode, I, I wanted to kind of start out with something that, um, was posted by one of our friends, Scott Woods, a about two weeks ago. Um, I unfortunately have been blocked, and he's been blocked from my page, so I'm not really able to see. Um, the feds are on to us. Yeah, it's really, that, and we can certainly discuss that in, in a few. But at any rate, Scott Woods is a cultural icon. Gil Scott Woods. In the Columbus, and, and really just regionally, he's just blowing up and doing some really good and nationally. things. And nationally. Nationally as well. Thank you. Um, but he is, he is a really good friend of ours, and he had some really profound, cool things to say um, in response to a New York Times article. And so, Mark, why don't you share a little bit about that article, and then we can kind of talk about what that meant for you.
1: Uh, so I didn't read it. While I drank my wine. Right. I, I honestly didn't read the article, but... The idea is that uh, New York Times article was asking the question, can jazz, whatever that means, rise to the occasion of the current political climate, given that jazz, quote unquote, has always been a political music? And they referenced several musicians, um, but did not talk about 400 or the work that we've been doing. Yeah, for years. And a lot of the musicians that were referenced are folks we know that historically have not had a social, political, justice-oriented message to their work. I mean, a few did, you know, uh, just based on the names. Yes, a few did, but most of them didn't. And all of them are signed to record labels and either have a record coming out or a record already out that all of a sudden you know, is political or speaking to issues of social justice in some kind of way. Um, And I think one of the coolest things about Scott and what he said was just, you know, it it was great for, I mean, I consider Scott a big brother. So it was great for him to just shout it out that we've been doing this work for a long time. But Scott and I have been working together and been friends, you know, for 20 plus years, and all of our work has been, you know, black. You know, even when it's been about love, like we were doing black love poetry in the 90s.
0: Black air poets. <laughs> black
1: air poets, right? He was um, in our wedding. He was in our wedding, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so whenever you are creating art from a perspective of authentic identity as a black person or African American, or African in America, it's going to be political, and and Scott just basically pointed that out um, that we've always been doing that work. That four hundred and African epic is literally the epic presentation of political quote unquote jazz. Even though he he knows and I know that we I don't really consider my work jazz, but for the sake of argument, you know, if you're going to place me anywhere in kind of the corporatocracy uh, with respect to labels, right? Corporatocracy, the way corporate um, music world labels music to sell it, right? Jazz is probably the closest thing. Um, But, I mean, it's, it's what we've been doing. And, you know, what's even more interesting, he did that video and he called out, you know, this kind of, Miss, in my opinion, by the New York Times. Yeah. And I call it that because the person who wrote the article knew about the 400 and, in a follow up conversation, said, You know, I listened to a little bit of it, but you know, you're in Columbus. You know, and that was the gist of the conversation. Because we're in Columbus, you know, it may not have the weight or gravitas as these other folks who are in larger cities. Major metropolitan areas, New York, Chicago and the like, L.A., uh, and then signed to labels who, you know, are driving this message, trying to sell records on the backs of the social justice movement, Black Lives Matter, etc. And just for the record, yes, we're selling 400 African Epic. It had nothing to do with Black Lives Matter, obviously. Um, But we did do a record in 2014 called Black Lives Matter, which is still for free. We never sell the records that are directly related to the movement because I feel some kind of way about that. And I don't want to um I don't want to be seen as commodifying something that we should just be doing. Period. Right? The fight for liberation, the fight for equity, the fight for and equity across all the ism lines, right? Racism, classism, sexism, all that kind of stuff. Any Anything that I do that's specific to, you know, trying to share or elevate a message to those particular issues, I have never sold that music. All of my work is about telling our story as Africans in America. So, yeah, that's that's a different thing. But those specific, you know, albums that have to do with the movement itself, I'm not going to sell that because it's cringy. And now, you know, all these record companies are saying, hey, you black musicians, It's okay for you to be black. Do a record. You know, even when Marcellus did, quote unquote, a black record this year. And I I feel some kind of way. And so I'm happy that we're going to have, you know, conversation about that.
0: I'm so used to the Zoom space. Um, I'm raising my hand and I'm like, <laughs> I'm air pushing the button so that I can we're break in. We're being socialized. So I can break into the conversation. But um, huge misstep, New York Times. I get it. We are totally flyover. We're flyover in every aspect. Um, we're hoping that things like Drumversations, the podcast, Drumversations, the weekly um, the weekly YouTube show, really kind of um, get our message and Mark's message out to a broader space. Because to your credit, um, you're doing all of this in a basement in Columbus, Ohio, without a record label. So, I mean, you're, you're taking on like double the work of most mainstream air quotes, jazz musicians, you're doing, you're doing it all alone. And for folks to not recognize that, I think is, um, I think it's a huge misstep. But then they don't recognize just how dope the work is, you know. um, Well, that's
1: the thing. That's the problem. So I talked to the guy, he does recognize it. But the fact that we're in Columbus, you know, makes it some, in some ways, to certain people, a non-issue. Now, here's, here's even a more interesting thing that you pointed to, right? Yes, we're doing the work. Yes, we're doing it in a basement. Yes, uh, we are doing it with as much quality as possible and really as authentic as possible. Um, but what a lot of folks, and I mentioned this to the, to the person who wrote the article, what a lot of people don't understand is, and that's why I said it's cool to be black right now as an artist. I got dropped, from a record label in 2014 for releasing Black Lives Matter.
0: It's almost like you're an NFL player and it's cool oh. now to
1: to kneel. So maybe we need to do like a 400 black-on-black black jersey, like the black-on-black black cap jersey. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> halfway kidding. That kind of would be dope. I mean,
0: halfway kidding,
1: but... but... And Nike's not giving me, you know millions of dollars to to take a stand or to sit on a drum throne or to take a knee. You know, this is, and that's why I said, we're doing this because it's what we are supposed to do. Right. Max Roach said um, the jazz musician, the role of the jazz musician is as chronicler of his time. And he was speaking because most of the musicians at that point were male. And he's saying, you know, our job is to tell the stories of our people in contemporary context Right. So you're trying to create art that will survive you. Right. If you're doing art, you know, in the most authentic way possible, it should be relevant like James Baldwin, like Miles Davis, like Stravinsky, like Bartok, like, you know, all of them long after you're dead. Right. Not like TikTok
0: influencers. Not like
1: TikTok (laughs) and and, and not like the, the corporate constructs that a lot of music is now. Right. From mainstream Rap to mainstream, quote unquote, jazz to mainstream country music, I mean, mainstream gospel. None of that's gonna last in 20 years. Nobody's listening to that stuff in 20 years. But what you're writing about, you know, what's inspiring the art should be issues that pertain to the human spirit, whether it's going through something great or something tragic. You know, all of those things are our fair game and give epic natures to to the an epic nature to the story you're trying to tell. Right. And um, the fact that because we're in Columbus and it's not just me in Columbus, Scott's another person, Brian Moss, Stephanie Rond. Uh, Lisa McClymer. I'm naming a bunch of Columbus There's artists. Some
0: dope art you know, happening. Talisha Holmes,
1: Pop Gun with Tony McClung, Cornell Car- Willoughby Carn- on the the, the, the Willoughby. The Willoughby
0: family is yeah. doing dope, amazing. You know, we stuff.
1: Could, I could name you probably 30 to 50 musicians, regardless of ethnic background, regardless of genre, regardless of discipline, yeah. that are doing dope work in Central Ohio, and all of it in some way is about uplifting the human spirit, even if a cat is just singing a love song, because what we need, what what did Stevie Wonder say? Love's in need of love today, with everything going on. I mean, shout out to like
0: Short North Stage, I mean, there are so many people doing amazing work. The point really that I wanted to kind of share with this story is um, for folks that are in Columbus, like, don't miss out, like, don't you want to be a smart city, then do the smart thing. And, <laughs> and, smart and, without and, the A, and, smart. And, 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 and treat your artists well because they're not going to stay around forever. And then you're going to, like, kick yourselves and you're going to have to pay a lot of money, you know, when you could have just.
1: <laughs> well, the, the other thing, too, is, you know, that's where the Internet is great. And it's terrible at the same time. Right. A lot of people ask, well, how do I find the musicians or the artists, visual artists or the films or what have you that are telling these stories? Beyond the mainstream. And the great thing about the internet...
0: do your work.
1: Do your work. I mean... Yeah, but that's what I was going to say. The great thing about the internet is we all, if you have the capacity, we all can put our stuff up there on the internet. The bad thing about the internet is everybody's putting stuff to the internet. So if you know my name, Mark Lomax, you can Google me and find my music. But if you've never heard that name, then, you know, the way you know, the corporate structures is operating, you know, they're only going to push the stuff that's in their interest, not the stuff that's good for the sake of being good and having these positive messages or uplifting messages for the sake of propagating these uplifting messages, you know? Um, And so it really is about the public doing their work and, you know, clicking like and sharing and and letting folks know, you know, that here's some stuff out there that might be floating underneath the radar, but it's just as good or better and probably better for you than what's being sold in the mainstream.
0: These these folks are going to get expensive. And, you know, you want to be able to tap into what they're doing now when it's still accessible. Um but yeah, to to what you're saying, the internet is both good and bad. And when we when our uh, sixth grader asks us a question, so like yesterday, she was asking me a lot of questions about something really just random, maple syrup. How does maple syrup come from a tree? Mm-hmm. How is a tree tapped? All those really weird questions that uh, a sixth grader that good. a sixth grader <laughs> at least our have. sixth grader. But what we said to her um, is utfg yeah use the freaking google use it i mean that's that's what it's there for and i i think if you just do the extra work. I mean, how many times have you been asked during this summer, what should I do? What should I read? What documentaries are good? And then you give the folks the information, even like this podcast, we'll give this to people, right? We give all of these nuggets and gems and things, and people are still asking. So, I mean, part of it, you got to put the, you know, pull up your... Whatever you wear. I was gonna say big girl panties, but it could be big whatever panties. And, well, I think part and do of it the work. Is,
1: yeah, it's it's some of it is just the exhaustion of having done the work and not being able to find um not just support, because I think we have a lot of support, right? And I appreciate all the support we have. But what's interesting is even with all the support we have, you know, breaking into you know a space where the platform grows, and we can help more people understand these issues at least from the framework that we're working from operating from you know is difficult and you know when you have a periodical or you know a uh, honored national treasure like the New York Times to which I subscribe um basically tell you flat out that we're aware of your work is good, but you know but you're, you're in, in Columbus. Columbus. <laughs> you know it begs the question um not well it, it just begs the question like what do we have to do to carry this message to a larger group of folks because for me it's not just about the music it's not even about the ideas and the nuggets like ruth said that we share it's about catalyzing you know a shift in thinking through conversation and communal engagement, right? That's what—that's the power of music, and and I think that's really what dug at me about this article in particular, and why I appreciated Scott uh, bringing or you know lifting that up in in his uh, Facebook video, because I know a lot of those artists are not as thoughtful about community, you know. The the musical realm, particularly in art music, it is less about us than it is about you know me, the artist, doing this thing, and you're supposed to support yeah. it just because I
0: did it. So the artist in the article, right? Yeah, you know what I mean. And 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 that
1: is kind of the nature of a lot of it. And and we have really focused on building community through our work. You know, and it's one of those things it's like uh the black church, you know the prosperity pimps they got thousands of people in their congregation, and then the the pastors who are really trying to help folks you know have five hundred folks, yeah. you know and i I think that's part of the problem and it, it's that our society has lifted up extravagance and has created a cultural value around extracting resources from people for personal gain rather than adding value so that we all can do well together.
0: I mean, you know? it really, in the like most basic of like forms, feels like you're always striving for popularity, whatever's popular. I mean, because this, what you're talking about, you could say it's the same in so many different segments of work. Um, it, it feels like the middle school uh, <laughs> student council election. <laughs> right. It's about you, know, it, It's about who's popular. It's not about who's got the best ideas or who is doing the work or who can be innovative. It's about who's got the most friends. And, I mean, that's really what this feels like to me. In, in many different segments, I mean, I could, we could talk about nonprofit work, you know, that we both are engaged in. We could talk about, you know, not only music, but we could talk about, you know, theater. We could talk about lots of different areas. We could talk about politics. So the question
1: is, how do we shift that?
0: How do we shift that? How how do
1: we get to a point where, you know, the thing that is good for us, Whatever that thing is, to Ruth's point, it could be anything. I mean, there are a ton of nonprofits who are doing excellent work, but don't get the level of support to either scale or even stabilize the work um, because they don't have that capital connection, as they say in in the movie Life. You know, Spanky Spanky Johnson. Spanky (laughs) Johnson. Shout out to Eddie Murphy for (laughs) life.
0: It is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah.
1: And so for the last few weeks in the uh, Drumversations live stream on Friday, you know, we've been really kind of digging into this idea of practicing the politics of humanity. You know, we talk about politics as the negotiation of power and ensuring that we build a culture where power is used and leveraged for or in the interest of human beings. Right. And I think, you know, if we really all focused on shifting, not shifting to, you know, the thing that is best for all of us, the thing that just makes us feel good for the sake of feeling good. And sometimes that's great. I get that. You need a release, but from the stuff that supports the more materialistic extraction of resources, right. Sometimes, you know, we buy things that just aren't good for us, you know? Um, And it makes us feel good on a short term, but it's really destroying us from the inside out, you know? And that's what I mean by that extraction, you know, it leaves you feeling hollow because you need that high again. You know, um, a lot of art just is a, you know, short-term endorphin release. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really edify you and help you become better. Uh, because of the way we think about art in America. And that's what I mean by the commodification of art. But substantive yeah. and authentic creation is something totally different.
0: Yeah, it's like getting fast food. I mean, it feels great when you're just like taking it in. And, you know, then a couple hours later, you're like, oh, why did I do that? That, uh, that left <laughs> me feeling horrible. And sometimes you will feel empty Yeah, as a result.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, it's not a, it's not a new thing. Right. So when you think about the sales of sheet music in the 30s and 40s, when people were playing piano in their home, um, the stuff that sold the most was was the, you know, the junk, so to speak. And the more lofty, you know, music, the stuff that had those values and ideals, you know, didn't sell as much because we've been, again, socialized historically toward the thing that does not do us well. Right. I mean, and it, again, like we said, it's in every sector. When somebody says, "I'm voting for Trump because he's bringing coal jobs back," right? That's not even short-term gain. That that's short-sighted because you know that's what you know. And and I'm not knocking people who have grown up in an environment where that's all they know. I'm not I'm not sweating them and saying you're stupid. I'm, I don't believe that. What I do think is that the country, the society has not done its job to help people understand that, you know, that's not healthy. There are other alternatives and we're going to help you engage those other alternatives. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's one of the ways Hillary Clinton made some mistakes because she didn't go
0: there like she just said, "We're taking those jobs away, and people feel threatened." No, and if you watch the documentary "Hillbilly," yeah. um, which is on that's Hulu, a great documentary. It's a fantastic um, look at exactly what what Mark is talking about. Um, folks that live in Eastern Kentucky, Appalachian folks. Um, to which you know, I'm a brobilly. I'm a product Rocksburg, of Virginia. I'm a product of Appalachia. <laughs> I went to college in Appalachia. I live in Ohio. Um, the 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 southern southeastern part of our state is in Appalachia, Appalachia. Mm-hmm. yeah um Appalachia Appalachia however you feel like saying it coke and soda pop <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah um i I think that that would be a great that would be a great documentary to check out just to kind of see exactly what it is that you're saying about Hillary. I think that was one of the um areas that she fell pretty short in right,
1: and so what politicians do again, making a distinction between you know politics that are leveraged in terms of that discussion about power leverage in favor or in the interest of humanity as opposed to what the current situation is that's extracting whatever that thing is from human beings, you know. So, you know, you get a politician like Trump and his cronies and the people that control them that exploit that perspective, that worldview for, for their own gain, right? And then they leave those folks in the dust, literally.
0: Yeah. I have a question mark because mm-hmm. I, I have been hearing you speak about the politics of humanity not only for the past couple weeks on Drum Conversations, but it's something that I mean it's not new to us because you you talk about it quite often and notions of power. Um, are are kind of reflected in this conversation. Mm-hmm. But I always wonder, you know, we're from a certain generation where I wonder if the word power scares folks.
1: Of course it scares folks.
0: And I wonder, I wonder if we could talk about why it scares people mm-hmm. and why we need to embrace and kind of reclaim the word power.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, okay, I... There, there are several ways to approach this, but um, I, I love this definition of power by um, Wade, Dr. Wade Noble. He says, power is the ability to define reality for others as if it's a choice or a reality of their own choosing, right? So the example I use is um, what color is the sky? And in any audience I'm in, you know, of course, somebody says, the sky is blue. It's blue sky. I'm like, well, how do you know? And they're like, because it's blue. Well, how do you know what blue is? And somebody says, well, my mom told me or I learned in kindergarten or what have you. Well, who told them it was blue? And that blue was this concept that applies to the sky or to a blouse or to a shirt or what have you or a car, right? And then they they start, you know, fewer people answer, you know, and the idea is if power is the ability to define reality, right? Then whomever came up with the concept of blue, or by extension, color, period, right, has defined reality for, you know, millennia. We've been considering something, the sky blue from whomever, whenever that was, right? And, and so that's power. And I think one of the reasons why people are afraid to talk ab- about power in any context, right? I mean, even in in politics, they're talking around power, mm-hmm. right? They're not really focusing their their conversation on power. Uh, in religious context, they're not talking about power. But my father would argue that Jesus talked more about power than he did love, right? The reason why I think in America, at least, we have apprehension mm-hmm. around that in and around that discussion. Is because we've not been afforded the opportunity en masse Mm. to accept the power that we have, let alone bring that power into a communal setting and leverage that for change. Now, it happens all the time. Right. Anytime, you know, people put their money together and create a business that employs other people. Right. That's a form of power. Anytime a group of people get together and march down the city hall and protest to get reforms and and policy changes and all that kind of stuff, that's a form of power. Anytime a parent teaches their child how to be a good human being or even a bad human being or something in the middle, right? That's a form of power because in that very instance, very directly, you're defining reality for someone, Mm. And as they grow older, they will begin to act as if it's a def- definition of their own choosing, right? If I'm Republican or Democrat or independent, odds are my parents were Republican, Democrat or independent. right If I'm Christian, Muslim, Jewish, hindi, Hindu, whatever, right? Buddhist, Baha'i, whatever religious philosophy I ascribe to, odds are my parents ascribe to the same thing. It's very few instances. Where children, at least in the West, or even actually anywhere in the world, um, break from those patterns, right? But But, there are
0: examples. Yeah, I said, yeah. yeah,
1: I'm not negating that it happens, but it's it's not as often as as you would think, because especially in America, we don't have those conversations about our personal power and agency.
0: In your own, like, your individualism. And I think for... Well, individualism has nothing to do with power, right? But Here's for the thing. disenfranchised folks...
1: Individualism even should be less an issue around power for disenfranchised people because your real power comes from not just your personal agency, but your collective engagement, right? Your power is amplified. And that's why, you know, I wrote that piece, A New America, back in 2008, And the idea was if we lived or created an environment where I was encouraged to be my best, then hopefully me being my best would not just encourage you but inspire you to be your best. And together we are stronger because we're operating both at our optimal capacity, right? right? And it just spreads like that. And if we all get to that point where we're operating at our optimal capacity and we combine forces like Voltron or Captain Planet or whatever you want whatever cartoon you want to you know reference or sci-fi flick you want to reference then we are that much more powerful and able to accomplish something right many hands make light work
0: but you know folks feel competitive and they also feel like oh you know you're you're and we see this a lot in government Yeah but and that's the divide
1: and conquer and, yeah. approach right so for marginalized people right what i'll do if i'm in power is i'll elevate one of you to a privileged position and i'll say this person through the sweat of their brow (laughs) right they they took their bootstraps and they raised themselves up and you know you can all be like that person everybody looks at that person and like i can be like that and then they start chasing that but only one person out of however many, right? So everybody and else is competing. That person for that is role
0: kicking the other people down
1: because they've been then told, somewhat privately, some maybe publicly, you're better than them. That's why you got here. I've experienced those conversations. Absolutely, we right? all.
0: I mean, I think that that comes with.
1: Hmm, Doctor Lomax, how did you get out of the ghetto?
0: <laughs> As if yeah. I'm special.
1: I'm not special. Right. Right. The ghetto was never supposed to hold me down if I'm being really human, except for the fact it was designed to hold a group of people in a particular position. Right. And so the few of us who have. But
0: that's, that's understanding your individual worth. But that
1: individual worth is often leveraged to your point against the collective. Right. Which is why a person like me should not be worried about social justice issues because technically I made it. So, so you should just leave Linden. I should leave Lyndon alone. Leave I alone. I should stop talking about Black Lives Matter because I have all the white cards. Not all the right cards, all the white cards. What are white cards? I have a doctorate degree. I work at a predominantly white institution that gives money to other organizations. I teach at The Ohio State University, right? I don't live in the hood. You know, I send my children to good schools. You know, all of these things, you know, if I'm in a room with, you know, well-resourced individuals, regardless of their ethnic identity, you know, we can have a conversation about some things. And then know. let's
0: let's say just because we're going to deal in some stereotypes here for like two seconds. Mm-hmm. Let's say the janitor comes in who's a black man.
1: Yeah. Now, what's interesting about the janitor, janitors often make more than teachers, but because of their station, they're not treated with respect. This is what I mean by value, right? Versus material worth. You know, if we really understood value and leveraged our politics or our conversations of power around the interest of human beings, then we would understand that every person at any station in life adds value to the community. Because as a teacher, right, it's easier for me to teach when my room is clean. Just, I mean, it's easier for people to think. I mean, th- th- there are studies. It's easier for people, for many people, maybe not me because, you know, my office is cluttered. But there are many people for whom it's easier to process information in a, a clean environment. And that's not the teacher's responsibility solely, right? Surface cleaning, teachers do many teachers. I did when I was a teacher. Excuse me. Yeah, but when right I came right. back into that classroom the next day, I knew the janitor had been there. Right right? That's a service that often goes unseen and underappreciated because we don't value the role that everyone plays. But when you have a community, um, where everyone is valued for what services they offer, the value that they add to the community, then you can ask the, the janitor, you know, <laughs> there's a story that, uh, when NASA was working to get to the moon, you could ask the janitor, um, what his or her job was, you know, back then it was more likely a guy, but let's just be equitable." His or her job was. And they would say, "I'm helping people get to the moon." Mm-hmm. They're sweeping and mopping floors, but they're helping people get to the moon because they understand how their part People's plays a role. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: That's how society should work. right? Mm-hmm. And ideally, one would hope that the astronauts who got to the moon in some way, shape, or form, when they said thank you to everybody back home, they were including that janitor. Right? Now, in American society, that's just not the case.
0: That's not the case. You
1: know, I, I doubt Tim Cook or Jeff Bezos or, you know, any of these captains of in- industry, when they enter the building, I doubt they know the janitor's name. Yeah. You know, but in Japan, as a, as a um, flip... You know, the CEOs don't have the front space. They park with everyone else because there's more value, you know, across the hierarchical chain of command, so to speak, than there is in the West. You know, they see themselves as a part of the whole because culturally it's communal, right? Whereas here is hierarchical. And so if I'm the CEO, I'm the HNIC you know, everybody else is just everybody else in, in some cases, unfortunately. So I, I think, you know, the, a lot of the problems around power and a lot of the problems around the corporatization or commodification of art, which is supposed to kind of help us see ourselves humanely, you know, that, that all stems from this toxicity that is in Western, particularly American culture. You know, so we cannot talk about power in a way that is powerful. You know, publicly because we're we're embarrassed by our power. Why would you be embarrassed by your your wealth of knowledge if and knowledge is power, right? We should celebrate your 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 intellect. Why would you be embarrassed because you're the best musician or even the materially wealthiest person? It's because a lot of folks have cultivated You know, the sensibility that it it separates them. It doesn't separate you if we're operating optimally. That's just the thing that you're good at. You know, and you might be great at making money. Awesome. So how are you helping other folks? Right? I happen to be a great drummer. I've worked hard to be a great drummer. And I realized that, you know, I can do so much more than just play drums. And so I try to help folks in the way that I can. You know, and you helped me do that you know, recognize myself beyond the instrument. Right. But that's because the drums taught me is from Africa and African cultures are communal. And so I absorb that through learning the instrument, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and when we talk about shifting the culture to be more equitable, when we talk about social justice, we have to talk about power. We have to talk about the individual power we have in the context of community or else we we will um, kind of reestablish in a different way, you know, a culture that's built on those toxic bones that we are dealing with now.
0: Wow, how are we doing on time? We're good.
1: Let me edit this out.
0: No, I I, I We're don't have forty minutes. Okay, I I, I totally I, I'm digging this conversation, but I do want to segue into something a little different. Um, we had talked a a few weeks ago about, um, you know, how do you love during this time? How do you Hmm. deal with all of these kinds of things that we're talking about, particularly for folks of color, marginalized folks, how do you continue to love one another and yourself during this time? So I wondered if we could maybe spend the next, um few minutes few minutes on (laughs) that and you know i i think it's a it's a timely conversation so if we need to go a little bit over that would be cool too but what are your thoughts around that
1: well my first thought is love is a form of power
0: that's that's where i was at
1: i I, I know i got you (laughs) and you know as much as people talk about love i don't know that we talk about it in, in the most useful way um I agree with my dad again. He, he's come to see love as a form of radical acceptance and that's both radical acceptance in the context of eros and agape, you know, erotic love between partners and friendship love. And I'll extend that to self love, right? Mm -hmm. In the context of a global pandemic, with, you know, continued police brutality, divisive politics all across the board, you know, key people in our culture dying. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, all, I mean, we could just unfortunately go down the list of John folks. John Lewis. Yeah, John Lewis, you know, um, it, 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 love becomes something that we need more than ever now. And we need it in those three ways. And everything that's going on makes it harder to love in every construct you could even find love, right? Because I I won't say these are distractions. I will say, you know, these events, you know, often produce higher levels of anxiety.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's partially why it's been hard for us to do this podcast Um,
1: Just to find space. Just
0: to find space. I know, you know, I've been dealing with my own mental health and anxiety. I know you and I have had...
1: Lots of conversations. And and it's
0: been hard for us to connect.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean by the conversations. Mm -hmm. We've been kind of on our own exploring, you know, individually and together. the, um, The fallout, I guess there's probably a better, or implications, you know, of how all of this stuff is affecting us. And, and, you know, to your point, it's been hard to find that space. You know, it's impacting you in a certain way. It's impacting me in a certain way. And um, I've been, I've been really stressed out about the world. You know, I'm worried about, and, you know, there's little I can do to control it which makes it even worse for me but i'm worried about what the country's going to look like you know after the election day in november you know yeah
0: it is i mean it's hard to even like plan
1: yeah it's hard to think it's hard to plan it's hard to feel anything other than anxiety and i and i honestly think that is a part of the plan for a certain group of people, right? Because if we can keep you afraid or anxious, you often make bad choices because not, and it's nothing wrong with an emotional choice because sometimes that can be a really good thing. But if you are, we are collectively in a place where our anxieties, our emotions, our fears, you know, are all working against our making good decisions, You know, as we see um, the exploitation of folks like those coal miners, right? That's a very emotional thing because I deserve as an American to support my family. And this is the way I know to do it. And when you say you're taking that away, you're taking food out my baby's mouth. I'm going to have a visceral reaction to that perspective, that news and that possibility, which means that I'm going to vote for the thing that says they're going to keep that intact, even if... One, it never happens, and two, I get destroyed in the process of it not happening. Right, right, with the taking away of other rights, of other resources, healthcare, and and, and the like. Right,
0: healthcare, and we know that if you're working in a coal mine, to have good healthcare would be really
1: important. Paramount, right? Yeah. And so, when we think about love, I, and, and this is why during Drummer Station's live stream, you know, we take time to breathe. You know, that's been uh, something that's helped me every day at some point. And and you and I have, you know, meditated. We've breathed together from time to time. You know, we've been sitting out on our deck in the backyard just with the trees, you know, with a good drink, maybe a cigar, just trying to take time to pause almost every day.
0: It definitely has helped. Um, It's helped us. When we don't want to necessarily feel connected in the normal ways, we have to really disconnect yeah. in order to connect.
1: connect. And, yeah. and again, when we have been socialized in a society where everything society says is right is actually antithetical to what's best for us, right? Most of the time, the solution is something that's counterintuitive. Disconnect to connect more strongly, Right. And I would just offer that as it relates to love, we have to be intentional about radically accepting ourselves as we are. If we're feeling anxious, if we're feeling afraid, if we're feeling whatever it is about anything, let's accept that, right? By accepting it, we can process it a little more healthily, hopefully, And begin to engage it in a way that moves us through whatever that thing is. Uh, James Baldwin said, not everything faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. So accepting it is a way of facing it. You know, that's radical self-love and self-acceptance. We have to radically love and accept our friends. You know, there are times where I can't talk to myself, but I'll call, you know, some friends or we'll get to hang out with some friends. And it's not a distraction, it just reminds me of important things, you know? And sometimes, you know, because we've been cooped up with each other for six or eight months, you know, you get tired of looking at the same people, even if you love them. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> in a, in, in a video chat or a phone call with somebody who you don't see every day, you know, can can bring some levity to your life and and, you know, remind you of important things, right? And so we need to cling tighter to our friendships. Um, And then we need to cling tighter to our loved ones. You know, both, you know, those our progeny and, and, you know, folks who we're connected to by blood and those we love in an erotic, you know, arrows kind of way. Like our partners, you and I as husband and wife or however you describe your relationships, right? And for us, I think, at least for me, our relationship has been tested because of this. I've gone through stuff. You've gone through stuff. We've gone through stuff together. But the fact that we still went through it together has been the thing that made it work for me. I don't know, you know, God, I don't know what it would have been like to go through all this by myself. I don't, you know, and whether you always see or feel that from me, that's real, you know, and I hope that All of us who are in, you know, romantic relationships, whether you're married or not, you know, you give each other the grace to feel and to be, you know, as authentically as we all need to feel and to be, not just to get through this, but to thrive in as much as we can to just get to the next day. You know, sometimes it's just about, I got to get through this hour.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I got to get through these next 30 minutes. Yeah. I mean... It, it that's it's, it that's literally where we've been um and so yeah i mean i i definitely feel that i appreciate it um it's been rough but we're still here
1: we still together
0: <sighs> <laughs> and um yeah it, it's it's definitely testing a lot of our patience and just who we are and you know, I know it's it's been rough. It's been extremely rough, but I I feel like, you know, I really wanted to talk about this in this space because I I know that other people are going through this and it's it's okay. And know that, you know, you are you're you're so supported right now, you know, if you're in those committed relationships. And even if you're not, I mean, you've got a family, you've got friends and if not, you have us. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, I want folks to feel like even with this podcast, you know, you had shared with me that some folks had said that this podcast and the, the Friday um, drum conversations have been what have been helping folks get through um, these last couple months, these, what, eight months. Um, and I just, I, I really appreciate that. And I'm glad that we're able to offer that um, not only to ourselves and to our circle and our community, but to the world. And that's why, you know, we really want folks to, to hear this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you said something interesting, a, cu- a couple of things. But the one that um, stands out is, is like whether you're feeling supported or not, you know, support comes in a lot of different ways. And I know personally, like artistically, because I'm not able to perform with, you know, my homies, Yeah. you know, I felt artistically alone. Like the Friday thing is great and I, I it's a privilege to do that and be able to share, but there's nothing like being on a stage, giving a concert right. with, you know, your closest artistic partners, Yeah. you know, and sharing that moment, not only with the band, but with the audience, you know, and I get what it's like to feel professionally isolated. And and because we've gone through, you know, some of the things we've gone through this summer, we've also maybe felt emotionally isol- isolated, you know, because you put yourself in a box or, you know, because you're both going through something, you can't just deal with it together because you got to take care of yourself, put your own mask on and then help each other out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where that radical acceptance is important, you know, and-, and even as we get closer to election day and things start getting even more intense, you know, it reminds me of what Naomi Klein said about um, shock Shock doctrine, doctrine. right? Where, you know, the powers that be take advantage of natural disasters and, you know, tragic events to shift the power dynamic away from the people and consolidate power in the hands of those who are deemed powerful. Yeah. And part of how that happens is by shifting the narrative, right? So again, if we allow, and easier said than done, it's a day-to-day, sometimes minute-to-minute thing, right? But if we allow the the conversations being had at the national level during this presidential race. Uh, all the stuff we're seeing with police brutality and the the almost daily traumas that occur in the world and are are broadcast on our phones and on our televisions, if we allow all of that to consume us emotionally, psychologically, and otherwise, then we are losing. We have already lost, you know? So if you love yourself, if you want to be more intentional about loving yourself and others— It might be the most healthy thing to unplug, disconnect to reconnect, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. We talk about that self-care in in social justice work. Sometimes you have to leave the front of the protest, the battle, Mm -hmm. right, to go just recuperate, regenerate, reset, regroup, and then come back into the fight stronger. Yeah. You know, And I think you have to give each other grace to do that when you're in relationships. And if you're not in a relationship, you have to give yourself grace to just be upset, be pissed, be sad, be scared, but know that it is not the end. As long as we collectively draw breath, we have an opportunity to find a way to make the world a better place.
0: And on that note, we want to thank you all. Please subscribe, share, um, and just stay tuned, stay healthy, stay blessed. Thank you. And love yourself and each other. Love yourself and each other. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Ruth. And we are out. Peace. Peace.